Pastor Xavier Reese and the bondage that accompanies those who misunderstand grace. Now sometimes people in the church get caught up with legalism of self-righteousness and begin to emphasize certain things as marks of true righteousness or true spirituality, much like the Galatians. Those are gray areas that we have to be real, real careful about. You want to eat vegetables? Have at it. You want meat? Pray over it. But be careful you don't make your standard the standard of the Word of God. Welcome to Simple Truths, the daily half-hour study of God's Word with Xavier Reese, Senior Pastor of Calvary Chapel of Pasadena, California. It's often easier to live with what's comfortable rather than adjust to what is new. But sometimes, that which we are content with may be the very thing that is causing the most harm. Today, as Pastor Xavier continues his series from the book of Galatians, he reminds us of the need to pursue that which God has ordained, not just what's most appealing in the eyes of man. Let's listen. Galatians chapter 4, verses 1 through 11. The message is entitled, Sons of Freedom or Slaves of Bondage. Every so often you read of an individual who inherits a great fortune and due to his young immaturity, he throws away everything by a choice of lifestyle. The natural response of any person would be, why would he choose to throw it all away and settle for so little in life? This is precisely what Paul was saying to the Galatians who despised, to an extent, by desiring to be slaves under the law rather than sons of God through faith in Jesus Christ according to promise. The Galatians had acted like unappreciative heirs who were willing to throw away the riches of their inheritance as sons of Abraham in order to be slaves of the law. Therefore, Paul, in these first 11 verses of chapter 4, points out to them the difference between an heir of the law and an heir of grace by declaring three truths to them. Let me read the 11 verses. Now I say that the heir, as long as he is a child, does not differ at all from a slave, though he is master of all, but is under guardians and stewards until the time appointed by the father. Even so we, when we were children, were in bondage under the elements of the world. But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth a son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law, that we might receive the adoption of sons. And because we are sons, God has sent forth the spirit of his son into your hearts, crying out, Abba, Father. Therefore, you are no longer a slave, but a son. And if a son, then an heir of God through Christ. But then, indeed, when you did not know God, you served those which by nature are not God's. But now after you have known God, or rather are known by God, how is it that you turn again to weak and beggarly elements to which you desire again to be in bondage? You observe days and months and seasons and years. I'm afraid for you, lest I have labored for you in vain. The three things that Paul points out here, the truths, as he shares with them the difference between an heir who is under the law, a slave, and one who is under grace, a son, is that first of all, the inferior position of an heir under the law, verse 1 through 3. Secondly, the superior position of an heir under grace, 
verses 4 through 7. And then finally, the inferior regression of an heir under grace to law, verses 8 through 11. And let's begin with this foundational truth. He begins with the law. The inferior position of an heir under law, verses 1 through 3. Inferiority not in source, but only in that law was temporary and preparatory for grace. So notice first, the explanation of inferiority is given to us in verse 1 and 2. First, the heir under law was a minor, Paul says. The word child is a child underage, a minor in contrast to an adult child. One who could not discern things clearly and in need of ongoing future instruction. We as parents, as adults, we see this always. We understand it. As a child is born and he's brought and he begins to grow in a process. And there comes a point in time when he reaches certain levels, certain degrees, certain maturity levels. Notice also that the heir under law did not differ at all from a slave, though he was master of all. You had a slave child, you had a, an heir child, and both of them were identical in terms that they couldn't make certain decisions, they couldn't exercise certain power. Whether one had it and the other one didn't, didn't make any difference. The one that had it couldn't exercise it. They're both children. Both were under others' control. Now notice thirdly, the heir is to, to be under guardians and he could not do as he wanted to in verse 2. The word guardian refers to one who has the care of a child and his person. A more modern vernacular would be nannies, governors, overseers. The child's still the heir, but he has people to oversee him, to kind of direct him. The person would be like an overseer easily. Notice, fourthly, the heir was under stewards. He managed nothing. Yet everything was his, but he managed nothing. So the word steward means a manager of a household with financial responsibilities. So certain stewards would be appointed for the child, and he would help him to make those decisions, how to deal with finances, teaching him as he is growing to come to that position, that age of maturity. Jesus used this word in the parable of the faithful and wise steward for his return in Luke 12, 42. Enter in, thou good and faithful servant. Notice fifth in verse 2. The heir was on probation at the time appointed by the father. The heir was on probation till the time appointed by the father. This illustration is more from Greek and Roman law than Jewish to an extent. Yet we see it across the board in every culture in some form. The Greeks, from age 7 to 18, the child was cared by the father. Then at 18, he entered in full responsibility as an adult. We kind of have that at 18. We say they're an adult. The law doesn't hold you responsible for their action to an extent now at 18. It took place at the festival of Apaturia. It was a big thing. The child passed from his father's care to the responsibility of the state. The Romans, at age 14, the child was released of the guardian, and at age 25, of the steward. 
It took place at the family festival called Liberalia, for freedom, liberty. It was held annually on the 17th of March. And the young man was acknowledged and adopted as a son and heir, receiving a garment called the toga, thereby becoming a citizen with full rights. Even in the most primitive areas, we, we have passages from childhood to manhood. In the African tribes, in, in, in nomadic uh, tribes, there is a passage. There is a time. There are rituals, ceremonies. The Phrygian law varied more in age and custodial function, and it was more the discretion of the father when that would be. That's kind of good because age doesn't always equate maturity. <laughs> and no one knows his son more than his father, if he's a father and spends time. He should be the best one to decide what he can handle, what he cannot, what will destroy and what will not. How soon, how fast, how much do I gift him? And so this is the illustration that he's using. Remember, these guys are Gentile. So they're familiar with these kind of processes that went on in culture. Now notice that first he gave us the explanation of inferiority. Secondly, in verse 3, he gives us the application of inferiority. In verse 3 he says, even so we, when we were children, were in bondage under the elements of the world. The Jews who were heirs under law were minor children spiritually. He makes the application. Even so we. What is the theme we've been following? Who are the deceivers? Judaizers. What are they teaching? They want to bring them into Judaism, right? Paul says, even so we. Who's we? Me, I used to be a Jew. I'm still a Jew, but now I'm a completed Jew. I believe in Christ. But even so, we, we who were Jews prior to the coming of Christ, who were under the law, we were what? Spiritual children, minors. We weren't adult. The law could never make you an adult in comparison to the new. This is the illustration. Here's a comparison. The Jews were kept under guard by the law. He's already told us that in chapter 3, verse 23, right? The law was a tutor to bring them to Christ, verse 24 and 25 of chapter 3. But secondly, he says that the Jews who were heirs under law were in bondage under the law, in verse 3 here. That's radical when a Jew heard that. But he's talking to the Gentile because the Jews are trying to impose this upon them as if they are taking a step up, while in fact they're taking a step down. They were in bondage under, what does he say? The elements of the world. Mark that well. The word element is a military word that means a row, a rank, or a series of things, referring to the basic principles such as the ABCs of the alphabet. Now, you would have to agree with me that because you know the alphabet doesn't mean that you can write. Yet, if you know how to write, the alphabet is the basic principles for writing. 
Because you know certain words in a language doesn't mean you can write a sentence. Those sentences are made of words. And this is the idea. He is saying here that these elements, he's applying to Judaism. Now, when you look at this word, it is used of the basic principles of the world opposed to the revelation of God's word in Colossians 2, 8, and 20. It is also used for the basic principles of God's word for the Christians in Hebrews 5.12 when he says, when you should go on to be teachers of others, you have need that someone teach you the same basic principles all over again, baptism, so on and so forth. And he says, and you guys are babes. And then the word is also used in 2 Peter 3.10 for the physical elements that are going to be melting with fervent heat at the end of the thousand years. So when this word element is being used, you've got to interpret it within its context. The context here, Paul is using the word in this verse to refer to the elements of the law, that is, the duties and methods prescribed by the law due to the fact that they were preparatory and temporal to that which was to come and not an end in themselves. The law is holy, just, and good. The problem is me. I'm sinful. I can't keep it. But the basic elements here of the world that he's talking about is the, the things that had to be done, the duties, and the methods, those were things that were ABCs to lead you to the Word. Now that you've come to the Word, why would you want to go back to the ABCs? The inferiority of an heir under the law was so because of its temporalness and preparatory nature behind it. It would be much like a woman who is pregnant and she finds out that she's conceived. From the first second that she's conceived to the day that that baby is born, that's the ABCs. She goes into the hospital, has that baby. You've got the fulfillment. Now, the pregnant period is necessary, it's the ABCs, but the product is the baby. The ABCs was the law, but the product was Christ, and he's putting them side by side. Now, sometimes people in the church get caught up with legalism of self-righteousness and begin to emphasize certain things as marks of true righteousness or true spirituality, much like the Galatians. They get sucked in by people who have been caught up in this snare. Some begin to impose a diet of vegetables rather than meat as a sign of being more spiritual. And Paul addresses this in Romans chapter 14, verse 1 through 3. Now in that text, the principle is that we are to receive one another or one who is weak in the faith and not to dispute with them over doubtful things. Doubtful things are those of personal conscience, which the scriptures say nothing about and they are not sin in and of themselves. You're going for your 25th anniversary with your wife and you're going to take her out to dinner. And you go to this restaurant, beautiful restaurant, and they have an orchestra there and they play a, a slow song and you decide you're going to dance with your wife. You have no reservation. It will not stumble you. You feel free to do so. Others of you would not dare to get up and dance because the minute you got up, you were sure you're going to spend the rest of eternity in hell. 
That's how strong your conscience is. Nothing wrong with either decision. Be obedient to your conscience. But the danger is in making your conscience the standard of Scripture. Those are gray areas that we have to be real, real careful about. You want to eat vegetables? Have at it. You want meat? Pray over it. If it's going to stumble somebody, put it away till they leave. But be careful you don't make your standard the standard of the Word of God. The second principle he tells in verse 2 of Romans 14 is that the one who eats all things is the stronger spiritually. And the one who is unable to eat the meat and only vegetable is the weaker spiritually. Usually people try to exalt themselves. Oh, I, I don't eat meat. Whew, I used to until I really became of age in Christ. The truth is the reverse. Now, this is only if a choice is due to the defilement of conscience. If it is by choice of health or a mere choice without attaching any spiritual superiority, then it doesn't mean they are spiritually weaker or immature. So in other words, if you decide, I'm not going to eat meat, I, I eat once in a great while, but, and I've even gotten away from it. And you do because you just don't want to or because you know it's healthy, you're fine. But if you start teaching that all Christians should do it because it's healthier and you turn to Daniel and everything else, you're wrong. God says, pray over it, eat it, and you'll die right on time. <laughs> That's what he's saying, Okay. So if you want to make that choice, fine. But if you want to attach a spiritual superiority to it, that's sin to you. That's self-righteousness. This is what kind of like the Galatians we're going to, see? Oh, well, we were in Christ, but now we're going to do this. We're going to keep this law, keep that law. We're going to do, oh, we're not going to do that, and I do do this. Mm. The third principle is found in verse 3, and it is that the one who eats is not to despise him who does not eat, and he who does not eat not judge him who does eat, for God receives him. So if you eat vegetable and you can't handle meat, that's fine. God accepts you. If you can handle meat without being stumbled, hey, fine. God accepts you. What's the problem? He says, don't judge one another. Don't dispute. There is to be given to every individual room to grow. And mature in Christ. And what God judges most is what? Our attitude towards one another. That's important. See? It's a sign of maturity. Constant judging over things that are non-essential is a mark of immaturity. Very important. Now, sometimes we may address somebody on a very practical exhortation, say, you know, you're free to do this, but why would you want to do it? It, it, it stumbles others, and, and, and it's no good for your health. Why would you want to do it? Okay, let's, let's take some very practical cigarettes, for instance, okay? If you smoke, will you get to heaven? Absolutely. You may smell a little bit, but you don't get to heaven. <laughs> now, am I saying the Christian should smoke? No. I used to smoke. God took it away from me. I don't want to do it. Number one, it'll stumble somebody. Number two, I probably would have had cancer by now. Why would I want to do it? My body's the temple of God. People say, well, how about drinking? You know, Bible doesn't say that we can't drink. That's right. Bible says just don't be drunk. But can you handle one? And if you can handle it, can your wife handle it? How about your children see you? 
How about others who are Christians? So I leave here today. I'm going to go for lunch. I go to the Northwoods Inn, and you go back there also, and you don't know I'm there, and I'm there in the corner, and I order a big old beer with a big old head on it. And you walk, you look across, and you go, is that Pastor Xavier? And I, and, and I catch your eye, and I go, hey, there. And I down it. Would you be here next Sunday morning? Then don't be a hypocrite. Don't stumble me. Okay? Let's use wisdom. All right? Very important. Some will always bring up the Sabbath day, right? And our Christians are to keep the Sabbath day. Seventh-day Adventists will do this to you, okay? Now, not all of them. There's some that are born again, and they're following the Lord. And, but that will always come up. And the reason will be, well, you know, God gave us the Ten Commandments, right? And he says, keep the Sabbath day, right? So that's their logic. But their lack of reason is recognizing that none of us keep the Ten Commandments all the time, every time. The law condemns us. Also, the covenant of the Sabbath day was made with Israel. Exodus 20, verse 8 says, Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Israel, not the church. That was a covenant with Israel. The church was never commanded, nor was it even mentioned at the first church council in Acts 15 when they were arguing about circumcision over the Gentiles. As a matter of fact, they said this, listen. And if we're to keep the Sabbath day, in other words, worship on Saturday rather than Sunday, then the Holy Spirit really blew it. Because in Acts 15, 28, 29 says, For it seems good to the Holy Spirit and to us to lay upon you no greater burden than these necessary things, that you abstain from things offered to idols, from blood, from things strangled, from sexual fornication. If you keep yourself from these, you will do well. Farewell. Enough of this nonsense. The Pharisees constantly were after Jesus because he healed on the Sabbath. One day they says, look, why do you do what is not lawful on the Sabbath? And he said to them, the Sabbath was made for man and not man for the Sabbath. In other words, God gave us one day of rest. And if you are a workaholic, I, I love to work. This last week has been one of the most miserable weeks of my life. I can't do anything. I feel better. I got up on my hill. I, I trimmed all my bushes. I, I cut my palm trees. I, I painted some, some doors. I feel good. I love to work. But if you're a workaholic and you never rest, you never take care of your family in terms of enjoyment and all that, shame on you. Take one day at least, and you make sure that you minister to your family and enjoy them and recognize God who's given you the health to work and thank him. The Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. The man's not supposed to be a slave to a day. And then he said this, the Son of Man is also Lord of the Sabbath. I rest in the Lord. What if they say we couldn't meet anymore? You find that in Mark 2, 24 through 28. What if they say we couldn't meet here anymore on Sundays because of certain rules, whatever it is, we have to meet on Monday? How many of you get stumbled? Still going to come to church on Monday? We do it at night. No big deal rather than Sunday morning. Would it stumble you? Wouldn't stumble me. Every day is the same to me. I literally forget about holidays since I come to the Lord. My staff has to remind me. I used to live for the weekends. I knew every holiday. Every day is the same to me. One more opportunity to see what God has. Not another opportunity to party. And yet I like to have fun. I like to relax sometimes. That's not what I live for. There's a difference. The position of an heir under the law was inferior. 
Pastor Xavier Reese, and the freedom that comes to those who choose to live under grace. But there's much more to come from this study next time. But if you won't be able to join us, you can request a copy of this message on CD. And the title to request is Sons of Freedom or Slaves of Bondage. It's available for only $4. And this is a great way to share this ministry with those in your church or Bible study. Once again, the title to ask for is Sons of Freedom or Slaves of Bondage. Or simply request today's date. You can request your copy by writing Simple Truths. 2200 East Colorado Boulevard, Pasadena, California, 91107. Or to make your request by phone, call 800-926-1485. Again, that's 800-926-1485. Or the address once again is Simple Truths, 2200 East Colorado Boulevard, Pasadena, California, 91107. And please be sure and mention the call letters of this station in your correspondence. This helps us track the impact of this outreach in your area. Why is being religious dangerous? Find out when you join Pastor Xavier Reese for the next edition of Simple Truths. Simple Truths with Pastor Xavier Reese, a daily half-hour broadcast, is a radio ministry of Calvary Chapel of Pasadena, California. www.calvarychapelpasadena.com